and uh, other prayer breakfasts in the other state capitals in the Northeast Corridor. So I'll give it over to him. I didn't know how it was going to go with uh, us having family vacation for the past week, if he would want to claim me or not. (laughs) But uh, we had a wonderful time with little Calvin. In fact, I told Calvin he's seven weeks old. We woke up this morning, and I looked over at Calvin and said, Yay, let's go to church so you can hear Papa preach and fall asleep. (laughs) (laughs) So, But it's wonderful to be with you this morning. In fact, you know, when you think of family dynamics, I'm reminded of President FDR. He struggled at one point with at the White House with a number of people coming through a reception line. And uh, he would struggle with the fact that people weren't just really listening to him. Now, I kind of find that baffling because here he is, President of the United States, and you would think people would be listening to him. But people weren't. So he did this little experiment at one of the receptions. As people were coming through the line, and he would greet them, extend his hand, and, and smile. And then he would say, I murdered my grandmother this morning. And then the next person, you know, would go by, and the person would also say, wonderful, marvelous, we're so proud of you. And again, each person would go by, I murdered my grandmother this morning. Oh, God bless you. Till finally, an ambassador came by, and he heard the president, and then leaned back to the president and whispered in his ear, I'm sure she had it coming. <laughs> Family dynamics can be uh, very interesting, but I'm glad to be here. I love coming here to church because it's multi-generation. The spirit and presence of go to so many different churches, and what is distinctively different is the spirit of God is in the midst of this family here. And I would just continue to applaud you, nothing that you have done other than the part of yielding yourself to the spirit, saying, we give you a blank check, God, whatever you would want to do through us, and God will do some great and marvelous things. So I work with Leaders of Faith Foundation, and as Colton was saying, is basically going alongside elected officials and discipleship, helping local, state, federal, and international leaders come to know Jesus and to grow in grace and knowledge of who is Jesus. And just to give you a little brief kind of snapshot of what's going on in Washington, because everybody watches, we all watch the news, and it's like, I don't want to hear anything about it, I'm sick and tired of it. Let me give you just a little other side of the perspective, because you, we're all being fed just the one narrative from the media. But I have the privilege of walking in the hallways of Congress, and even just as I was thinking before coming up here to give just a little bit of encouragement, I was with another staffer, and we walked through the hallways of Congress, and we went to each one of the offices, stood outside, and prayed for each one of the legislators and members of Congress. And I went up to the one member of Congress that's gotten a lot of news, Cortez, and seeing all these post-it notes on the outside and was so convicted at the point that I need to meet with the congresswoman to be able to talk with her about the congressional groups that have been meeting since the 1940s and being able to talk with her about what are your thoughts about Jesus. And I do that with other members. A few weeks ago, um, and this is just insider, don't put it on social media or anything on this, but Nancy Pelosi even came to the U.S. House group. She was invited by the two co-chairs, Uh, who also chair the National Prayer Breakfast, and the congressman invited her to come and to share, and she actually shared talking about humility and the struggle of humility. Now, one congressman who was uh, in the audience, he told me, he says, you know, as she's talking about humility, it's like, oh, my goodness, the individual least likely to be humble is talking about humility, but we all rejoice in the fact that she's at least thinking in that direction of spiritual things. 
and of God. Now, is she there? No, we're not going to say that, as many others. Some even ask about, like, President Trump, where he is spiritually on things. He's a man of the world. Be blunt. Um, he, now, Vice President Pence, he's the real deal, a wonderful follower of Jesus. And talking about being salt and light in the White House is the Pence family with what they've been able to do. I was down in D.C. just a couple weeks ago at the State Department where there was an invitation of some world leaders to come together about religious liberty. And Vice President Pence and Ambassador Brownback were all instrumental in that. It was the largest gathering in the State Department history, the largest gathering in the world of leaders talking about religious freedom and liberties uh, and encouraging other countries on that. Um, One final note on that, because I'll share some other stories too, that uh, what's encouraging, uh, if you've ever read Bill O'Reilly's book, Killing Jesus, now you may be a Bill O'Reilly fan, you may be not, it's actually a wonderful read, Killing Jesus, because it gives a lot of the historical background during the time of Christ. And uh, one of the things I walked away with reading that book by O'Reilly was, of course, with Nero being in control and how Christians were persecuted for even naming the name of Christ and with what happened in Rome in 70 A.D., uh, it was a really bad scenario. And I rejoiced in the fact, after I read this book, that I, I told, tell my friends that it's not, we're not as bad as during that time period. I can go into the hallways of Congress and talk freely and liberty uh, about Jesus and not worry at the end of the day and call Bonnie up and say, dear, I'm in prison, I don't know when I'm going to get out, or being persecuted. So we're not there. I know it sounds bad, there's a long ways to go, but there's some good things that are taking place. And even on our note sheet, you can check out our website. I have prayer requests. You can sign up for a newsletter to give you some of the positive things that are happening in Washington. Not from a political standpoint. This isn't a bipartisan work with Republicans and Democrats, not talking about policy, but talking about the person of Jesus in their lives. Let me put it this way. The thing that changed your life or the person that changed your life radically and you're not the same ever since is the person of Jesus, his work, who he is, and his kingdom. That's the same message that needs to be brought to members of Congress. And that's what we end up doing. So anyway, I wanted just to share that. But, you know, when you think about our leaders and what has set up our country When you go back in time to our founding fathers, it's inspiring. There are those that have set the stage, and I want you to just listen and watch this video and look at the quotes of different founding fathers of where you see the scriptures, where you see Jesus, where you see God integrated into their faith that became the framework and the bedrock of building this great country of ours. And we even see men and women that continue that to this day. But just watch this a couple minutes and be encouraged by our founding fathers in a rich and deep faith.
Isn't that encouraging to be able to see Founding Fathers? I'm going to slide this over to the side because we're going to end up doing a couple of uh, uh, PowerPoints so you can be able to see some of the things. Is this all right over to the side here like this? That work out okay there? All right, great. And then that way you could be able to follow along with some of the notes this morning too. But it's encouraging to be able to see that men and women that have been a vital part of building our wonderful country, that their values, those virtues that we see entrenched in the belief and the person of Jesus has become a uh, part of, of our great country and establishing this great land. Um, now, as I was saying, you know, some of us, may be politically savvy. Some of us may not want to have anything to do with that. And I understand that. We have, you know, elections that are taking place. They're presidential. They're local elections. You may be involved and engaged in that. You may not be. Uh, We see sometimes that there are policies, uh, legislation, laws, some that are prohibiting things and some things that are also allowing of certain behavior and practices. Uh, We also, you know, surf past some of the channels like Fox News or CNN And we see shows like Crossfire and Hardball. All these things are contributing to government, politics, elections, corruption, policy, economics. But what about the one word of providence? Who is really in charge? What does God want us to understand and practice when it comes to the rulers of the state? And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning is basically just two things, is looking at those that are in authority, those that are in the state, what God wants us to understand and their role and their part. And then the other side is simply what is our responsibility to those that are in government. We're going to be looking in Romans chapter 13. And if you would turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 13, we're going to be looking at the first seven verses. The Roman Empire is an incredible dominant power and powerhouse during this day and age. Uh, the architecture, the arts, the road system, the political system. Uh, it was the world power. And her leaders, I would say, are unlike any others that we would imagine as you are a student of Roman history. And this particular letter that Paul is writing to the Romans is written close to the end of his third missionary journey while he's in the city of Corinth. And he was eager to preach the gospel in this metropolitan, the center of life and activity of the empire. And faith was very much expressed in many areas of life, ministry, relationship, as he's writing this letter, dealing with other followers, and even with those that are in authority. Now keep in mind, the authority system of that time was pretty brutal in many ways. So what would he have to say in light of that? So let's pick up in verse 1 of chapter 13. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Verse 2. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, 
an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants, who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. So let's look at the very first point about the rulers of the state that we find in verses 1 and 2, and let's unpackage and dive into the text here. Who are we to submit to as followers of Jesus? We see in verse 1, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. And that word submit is just as is self-explanatory. It is to bring or to be under control. And who established these authorities? Look in the text, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Two times emphasized and repeated. If I decide not to follow or submit to these authorities, then what? Well, look at verse 2. It gives the answer to that. Consequently, he who rebels against the authorities is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. So the focus point, the very point to think in and zero on, God's established the human governments. So to disobey human laws is to disobey God. He's established this human governments, and to disobey human laws is to disobey God. I like what Oswald Chambers says in Biblical Ethics. God has ordained that man is to govern man, whether he wants to or not. I'm reminded when I was working in the airline industry, I had the privilege of working with Continental Airlines and also Delta Airlines, and I was one of the ramp agents. So I was the guy, as you're sitting in your plane and you're looking out the window, that would throw the luggage up into the uh, baggage compartment, or also the guy that was up in the boom during a snowstorm spraying the de-icing machine or the de-icing material on the plane so we would fly safely. I loved it. It was something I really enjoyed doing. But one of the things that we were required to do uh, by Delta was to set up after the flight when you're all on board and you push back and push you out and you go off onto your destination, we had to set up for the next flight. And the reason why we would do that, so when the next plane would come in, believe it or not, all the carts and everything were in place and it would be a quick turnaround. And, of course, we had pride and joy that we wanted to get the flight turned around as quickly as possible to get on its destination. And that's what we were told to do. I had a supervisor. I had authority figures that told me that this is what I was doing and what I needed to do. When my supervisor came in and said, Rob, you need to set up for the next flight, it was like God was speaking. I needed to do with what he said. Delta Airlines had set up an authority figure and established those that are in charge. We understand that. that. We live in a world like that. That's what we're seeing here, that the human governments are set up as those governing authorities. God has instituted these governing authorities, whether we like it or not. And the common thread is we understand that government entity was designed and ordained by God himself. And the reason why is simply to give order, to give laws and protection. To give order, laws and protection. Even when you look at our own Declaration of Independence, Look at this phrase here when we see that it's established in our Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, 
liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. It's to give order and direction. Look even also in our own Constitution. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. God's established human governments, so to disobey human laws is to simply disobey God. They are synonymous. They go together on that. Let's continue on. Let's look at another thing that God wants us to understand. Look at verses 3 through 5, starting in verse 3. For the rulers hold no terror for those who do right. Well, rulers bring terror against whom? Look at the text. But for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. Well, what is God's design's role for those in authority? Look at verse 4. For he is, get this, God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoers. So why should I submit to these authorities? Verse 5, therefore it's necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. So rulers bear the sword, that is, they have the power to afflict punishment and even to take life. God established human governments because man is a sinner, and if he's left to himself, he will self-destruct. So the focus here we see on this particular point is not only that God is instituted, but have you ever looked at and considered that he or she that holds an elected position is being God's servant? Have you ever considered them being God's servant? You know, again, in verse 4, two times we see this word servant, which is deaconos. That's the same word that we see in the qualifications for the office of deacon, servant. In fact, Paul even drives it a little bit even further. In verse 6, later on, he uses the word ludicrous, which is translated as minister. That's the same word that we see minister in Romans 15, 16, ministers of the gospel. In fact, when you even look in some of the European countries, the offices given to those in government, some of them still have the word minister in front of it. Minister of finance, minister of defense, because it's a God-ordained institution. It's a God-ordained, I should say, office at that point, too. So I have the opportunity, as I was sharing, to go with some of the members of the U.S. House and Senate, work also as chaplain to the Pennsylvania Assembly, the Delaware Assembly, so at times have the opportunity to be able to stand up in front and do the opening prayer. Um, It is also an opportunity to be able to encourage members of Congress and our state legislator to be part of a weekly or a group that gets together and follows Acts 2.42, simply as for prayer, fellowship, breaking of bread, and the apostles' teaching, which was about Jesus, and encouraging them, yes, to be involved in their church, but also to be part of the House and the Senate group. And it's been amazing to see men and women that come into these groups and as they grow spiritually in their walk that become more involved in spiritual things, that they want to know Jesus more, that they want to grow in grace and knowledge of who he is, and they share their faith. And we see some congressmen in which they model that and example that. 
And the beauty of having these groups, it, it goes, I should say, it, it falls in line of a rich tradition since the 1940s when members of Congress, they came together, and I've shared this before when I've just talked about with what I do, where they said, why don't we come together and pray for our nation because of going through the war with Germany and Japan and driven to their knees and saying we need to seek the divine providence of God. They recognized who was in control, God himself, and so they started these groups that started getting together for prayer and this fellowship and in a bipartisan way to be able to pray for the country, pray for the president, and pray for themselves. And then, of course, an outgrowth of that becomes the National Prayer Breakfast to where they have a breakfast annually where they invite the president and world leaders to come together and experience what they do every week on Wednesday and Thursday mornings in the United States Congress. Sometimes when you get there early enough, you can actually hear in the members' dining area the members of Congress singing hymns of the faith that are echoing through the Capitol hallways. It's a beautiful thing to be able to see that there are really uh, men and women that are serious about their faith. Now, I know sometimes we ask the question, it's like, well, how come we sometimes don't hear about them? There's humility that's a part of that. There's also sometimes the media doesn't want to, I've seen even happen when the media comes to the National Prayer Breakfast, and uh, they report about President Trump and his remarks about Arnold Schwarzenegger. And they fixate on that rather than about prayer or members you know, of, of Congress, Republican and Democrat, coming together. I've seen members of Congress even challenge the media, say, why don't you put on the front page of the newspapers that members of Congress are praying together and having breakfast together? They wouldn't do it. And so you see sometimes that that becomes an, an obstacle of what's being reported and what's not being reported, too. So by application, let's be honest, what do we struggle with on this passage when we see that God has set them up, that they are God's servants? Well, what about some of these leaders like Nero? What about Hitler? What about a Saddam Hussein when he was alive? And others that are unrighteous leaders. When you look in Romans chapter 12, and you just did a study in Romans 12, that is the backdrop to Romans 13. And let me just highlight some of the things on Romans 12, just to refresh your memory as you were studying. Remember the theology of this chapter, a declaration of God's plan for salvation for all human beings by grace through faith. But he says, not conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. Verse 3, do not think of yourself more highly. Verse 9, love must be sincere. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. It's even repeated, bless and do not curse. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's the backdrop to a leader like a Nero that is in office when Paul is writing Romans 13. So John 19:11, Jesus says, The most unjust and oppressive princes in the world have no power but what's given to them from above. Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it was not given to you from above. God has given them the power. Therefore, the one who's handed over me to you is guilty of the greater sin. You see, the day will come when it will be very, very difficult to be able to honor Jesus, to follow Jesus. In fact, if not even possible for a Christian even to be loyal to the emperor. He could not drop the incense in the altar and affirm that Caesar is God. That day was going to happen. 
That doesn't mean he is responsible for setting himself up as God, these tyrants with what they're doing. They are going to have to give an account for their action, what God has given to them. So simply put, they are put into office. What they do with that position, whether they bless men and bless God and honor God, or whether they are tyrants, is something that they're going to have to give account for. And we even see that this doesn't mean that responsible for the sins of the tyrants, but only that the authority to rule comes originally from God. So the big idea to understand here about the rulers of the state is two things. God is the power behind the throne. He's really in charge. Secondly is the one on the throne is God's servant. The one on the throne is God's servant. So now let's turn the corner. What is our responsibility? What are we to do regarding our rulers? And we'll pick that up in verses 6 and 7. Look at verse 1. Everyone, I'm sorry, in verse 6 of chapter 13, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. Again, we see this word submit that comes back into the picture. So the simple principle, our responsibility, and I've already talked about it, is that we're to submit ourselves to the governing authorities. We get that. It's like that picture in the story of the Chronicle uh, of Narnia where you have King Absalom that walks out of the tent and all the people around are bowing in submission to his authority and to his rule. Who's in charge? We see that God is ultimately in charge. He has instituted them into office. So our first responsibility is to submit. Let's look at the next verse. Our next obligation is found in verse 6 here. This is also why you pay taxes. Oh, we, this is a joy. Wait a minute. This is our responsibility. This is why we are to pay taxes. For authorities are God's servant who give their full time to govern. Well, how are these authorities to have their needs met? Is simply they give to govern and taxes are to pay for that. So the focus upon it, our responsibility, is we are to simply pay our taxes. Uh, this is not something that we all enjoy doing when it comes April 15th. In fact, reminded of a couple of letters, there was a letter written to the IRS, and it said this, Gentlemen, enclosed you will find a check for $150. I cheated on my income tax return last year and have not been able to sleep ever since. If I still have trouble sleeping, I will send you the rest. Ray Stedman, who's a theologian, he started paying taxes uh, after years. Uh, He had not paid it because he had not made enough, and finally had to pay because it caught up to him. So he writes a letter, and uh, his first letter I wrote with a bad attitude. He resented on having to pay. He wrote to the Infernal Revenue Service. They never answered, but they did accept his money. The second year, he improved his attitude a little better. He said this letter addressed to the eternal, with an E, revenue service. And then finally, he says, I repented of my feelings towards the internal revenue uh, service, and I started paying my taxes cheerfully. Mark 12, 14, Jesus was asked this question. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or should we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, whose portrait is on this and whose inscription? Caesar, they replied. And Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar and to God what is God's. So our second responsibility, bottom line, whether we like it or not, is to pay taxes. Now, we do have taxes with representation. 
Uh, I think on a personal note, I'll get off on a little rabbit trail, but I don't go too far on that. Maybe we need to vote some out because of higher taxes uh, and maybe get some things in line on that. But the bottom line is we have to pay our taxes. Um, Let me just say one thing in line of just application of taxes, three things. Be honest, be accurate, and be responsible in planning because nobody wants to pay at the end of the year. So be honest, be accurate, and be responsible in planning. So our third and final item, and which is our responsibility, is what are we to do? Submit, pay taxes, and look at verse 7. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. So the timeless principle here is we're to give honor and respect to all those whom it is due. We are to give honor and respect to all those to whom it is due. I love, I love doing history. In fact, one of the things I do in Harrisburg is a spiritual heritage tour, and we've brought members, legislators, when they're newly elected, freshmen, uh, that will come into the General Assembly of the House and the Senate, and we do a godly heritage tour and look at all the different references all throughout our state capitol. In fact, if you haven't been to our state capitol since eighth grade history, uh, I invite you to come, and I would love to even have you come on a spiritual heritage tour and walk through the rotunda and to walk through the House and the Senate chambers and to see the references of faith in Jesus. In fact, one of my favorite parts is in the, in the Senate, the PA Senate, where you actually will see the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus in the Senate chambers. But one of the things uh, that is prominent about Pennsylvania is William Penn. And William Penn was in prison uh, for reasons with his dad and contentions of him being a Quaker. And while he was in prison, he wrote a wonderful book called No Cross and No Crown that really set the stage for this holy experiment of Pennsylvania. And in his book, he writes the following. He says, We show honor to inferiors. It demonstrates countenance and help. We show honor to equals. It demonstrates love. We show honor to superiors. It demonstrates obedience. One of the things Thomas Jefferson said, nobody can acquire honor by doing what is wrong. So by way of application, how are we to respect and to honor those referred to as God's servants. What are some things that we could do just by way of some application? Here's a couple little ideas. Faithfully pray for those in authority. Pray for those in authority. We see in Peter, we see in other writings of the Scriptures, that we need to pray for those that are in authority. How is your prayer life to those that are our president, to members of Congress? It's easy to complain about them, but are we praying for them to know Jesus, to grow in grace and knowledge of who Jesus is. Hey, I was guilty of it too. I, I didn't know my local legislators. It was like, really? You mean I got a senator that's in my district? Get to know their names and to be able to pray for them. You can even send them a note, not just of criticism, but just say, hey, I am praying for you. What are some things that I can pray for you about? That's what I do when I go into mem- with congressional offices and sitting down with them. They're human beings and people. They have needs. They have hurts and pains. There was one congressman sat down with and asked what can be praying for. He says, for strength and discernment. And the sad thing about it is what the struggles he was going through, two days later he resigns from his office 
as a U.S. congressman because of some issues that were going on. There are needs. Praying for those that are in authority. Secondly, provide a means to have them grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Provide a means to have them grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Be part of a ministry. Love to have you partner with a ministry like leaders of faith, that that is our role to help them grow in grace and knowledge. Give donations. Now, whoa, whoa, what do you mean by that? If there are men and women that are righteous leaders, be involved and even donate to them. Now, I'm not doing any political service or any particular party, but what we need to do is if there are righteous leaders, men and women that are doing things right, let's get behind them. They do need to have our support, not only just as volunteers, but even through donations. Visit or write to them. Visit or write to them. I know it's easy for us to be critical of them. In fact, I've been touched by this so much of how much we've criticized those that are in leadership. And as I was reading through the book of Acts, and even when the apostle Paul was before the high priest, and the high priest had him struck, and he turns around and says a remark to the high priest, and then the guy comes back and says, how dare you dress the high priest, God's servant, in that fashion. And we saw that the Apostle Paul was repentant of that. It's like, I should not be speaking evil of the high priest. Now, I don't agree, and he didn't agree with the high priest, but he was still God's servant. I think we've gone so far in our liberties and our freedoms of our mouths and what we're speaking that we're degrading the office of presidency. We're degrading the offices of those that are in authority. Again, they are God's servant. And for us to speak evil, wouldn't it be something to say that members of Congress or leaders and legislators would say, you know what, this church and the believers or Christians are the strongest advocates and the most submissive and the most God-fearing people, but also the most cooperating individuals that we have at anywhere else in our country. That would be the better end on that. And to be able to write them and to give them some positive feedback. You could still give them, okay, what you need to do on the road down the street. I get that. The potholes are terrible. And uh, we need to lower the taxes or whatever it might be. You still, still can address that. And then uh, finally, to uh, search and express the virtues and the qualities. I've kind of tied that into that. Search and express the virtues and the qualities. So here are the, here's the goal and the challenge for us. Again, as I said, what if we as believers and followers of Jesus, we become the model and the example of those that are in authority to submitting to those authorities and to honor those men and women that God has put into that office. Let me just share by way of closing. Congress had completed the First Amendment and sent word to the president asking him to declare a day of thanksgiving to God to show Americans appreciation to God for the opportunity to create Americans, an American new national government in peace and tranquility. Abraham Lincoln, or I'm sorry, George Washington, ends up sending this word and this message, and may this be our thought as we bring together what God has uh, showed us about rulers in the state, of submitting to them, that they are established by him, our responsibility to them, of submitting to them, paying the taxes, and also to honor them. He goes on to say, whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and humbly to implore his protection and favor, that we may then all unite in rendering unto him our sincere and humble thanks for his kind care and protection of the people of this country, 
and also that we may then unite in most humbly offering our prayers and supplications to the great Lord and ruler of nations and beseech Him to pardon our nation and other transgressions. May these words from Washington echo and be a part of our heart as well this morning. And even when you think of in Washington, D.C., at the top of the Washington Monument, 550 feet high, may our prayer, our attitude reflect this of what Washington said, but at the top of that are these words in Latin, leus dio, which simply means praise to God. May that be our prayer. May that be our heart towards those that are serving our country and on behalf and being servants that God has instituted. Let's bow our heads in prayer at this time. Father, we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for what it reveals and shares with us of the mindset and the heart that we should be exercising towards those that are in authority, that have been established by you. And Father, may not only just the truths of the scriptures may have been even convicting to us, maybe we've been harsh at times, maybe we, maybe we have been dishonoring of those that are in authority. May we submit ourselves to those servants that have been set up by you. We pray for the men and women that are in office, and Father, we pray for more men and women that would lead righteously and govern according to your will and to your ways. May we have the people of this great land, the United States, rise up and to uh, uh, send leaders into Washington, into Harrisburg, that would reflect and to model who you are and your values and your virtues. And Father, we pray that uh, we would be honoring uh, in everything that we say and everything that we do. Father, I also pray for those that may be here that uh, don't know you, uh, that they've been hearing about these things in the scriptures, about following Jesus, that as they're investigating of what it means uh, to be a follower of Jesus, that your spirit would work in their hearts and draw, uh, draw them to you. And Father, may they see the beautiful work of what your son Jesus has done on the cross was for them, for us, for all of us. And we thank you for the redemption. We thank you for him paying the price so that we could be able to have life everlasting with you, and that we could be your children. Father, we just want to honor you and thank you, and we ask these things through your son Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing together one more time.